Okay, good morning. So there's a few more announcements. First, men. We have a men's breakfast this Saturday morning. We're bringing a mountain man down from Vermont to bless you. Pastor Ron Millette from uh, Calvary Chapel in, in, in Vermont. And uh, these, are, these times are always a blessing. You know, I don't know what it is about you men. And all women, you probably know this, right? Men don't like asking for directions. You know that, right? He's got too much pride. Yeah, there's another thing kind of related to it. They don't like signing up for things. So what happens with men's breakfast, you know, 10 people sign up and 40 people show up. You know, men, you know, they go to the back and you, every once in a while you'll see them and they're like signing up. You know, they, I don't know what it is. But men, you know, Nathaniel's going to be cooking crepes for you. He has to know how many of you are going to be there. So uh, sign up for the men's breakfast this Saturday. It's always a blessing And I'm hoping to have a big crowd there. Hey, even if you don't want to sign up, show up. But uh, it would be nice to get a number. Also, uh, during the summer, our home groups, uh, except for the one on Friday, closes down just to give teachers a break as well. The women's study closes down. However, we have started up a uh, prayer for the summer, a prayer a gathering, a prayer service, if you will, uh, Wednesday evenings at the house of David and Michelle Yu. And uh, prayer, so important in these times. I think of, I think a lot when I think of church and prayer of Charles Spurgeon, who, uh, I've said this before, probably the most quoted author and pastor lived in the late 1800s, mid to late 1800s in, in London, probably the most quoted pastor in this country. If, if you think about on Sunday mornings, thousands of times around the country quoted he when he was 22 years old. He, his church had, had grown in London to a few thousand people after just a couple years. Tremendous depth to his sermons and his messages. And one time a couple of reporters showed up from the United States and they got to the service about an hour early and there was a guy in front of the, the church who was in, uh, sweeping out in front of the, the church, in front of the entrance, and the two reporters walked up to this man and they said, so do you go to this church? Yes, I do. Well, what, why is it that this church... Uh, has exploded like it has. Why is it used just so mightily of God? And and the person who is sweeping said, "Well, I'll I'll, sh- I'll show you." And he led the rep- two reporters into uh, the church, and then he led them down in the basement. And there was a room filled with people praying. He said, "That's the reason." Before the service. And then uh, after the church started and they sang a couple hymns, the C.H. Uh, Spurgeon got up there to preach. The two reporters look up. There's the guy who was sweeping out in front of the church. So he had a servant heart, but he also understood the power of prayer. And uh, we are hoping, as many of you as are able to... to um, 
uh, come and join us on, on Wednesday nights, but also uh, Sunday morning at 9.30 to pray and intercede. The, t- the time is now for prayer. You know, we have something that we really need to keep in prayer. In your bulletins, you should have uh, received this uh, flyer here. And uh, uh, this flyer is about something really important to our church life, and uh, we're really excited about it. Our own Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, who's sitting right over there, who's been with us for five or six years. How many years have you been with us? Feels like billions and billions, uh, Nathaniel. (laughs) (laughs) 4.6 billion, that's right which is how old the uh, evolutionists claim that the earth is because of the complexity of the, uh, the cell is, is so far-reaching, uh, they continue to date the earth older and older. Spurgeon himself was preaching when the theory of evolution began to be declared in Great Britain and in Europe, and Spurgeon said, huh, within 25 years we'll never hear about this theory again. It's just purely ridiculous. And as great as a man he was, and as prophetical as sometimes Spurgeon uh, spoke, he greatly underestimated... the habit, the inclination of men and women to lay hold of a theory which gives them an excuse to remain completely unaccountable to God. That's what evolution does. Now, there are two reasons I do not ascribe to evolution. One is because the Bible doesn't, it's inconsistent with the Word of God. But two, and this is just as much, just really, really bad science. And so Nathaniel is going to be uh, teaching about this on Sunday morning and Sunday night on August 16th. But here's the deal. There are so many out there. I don't know how many stories I've heard of people who are Christians who just always assumed that evolution was a fact until they ran across some science, good science, that clearly discredited it. In fact, uh, some of the people I think that work for the organization that Nathaniel will soon be will soon be leaving us, going to Dallas and working for the Creation Research Institute, some of the, the scientists there were the same way. They just didn't know. They were scientists. I think I believe some of them already into their career or well into their graduate studies, and all of a sudden they run, run across uh, good, solid science that fully discredits evolution. So many of these people live in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces. I strongly encourage you to take this flyer and pick up others that are going to be um, that are right outside the door and pass them around to your families and friends and coworkers. And encourage them to come out on Sunday, August 16th. This is a powerful opportunity. And also, just be praying about it. This is not the, the kind of thing that uh, the enemy of our souls 
likes. <laughs> For a Harvard PhD in biology to get up and talk about the flaws of evolution and the power of the science behind the creation story. And so please pray about it. We're also going to be sending these out on the church uh, email. If you're not on our church email address list, uh, please uh, just send an email to the church and ask to get on it. We will be distributing them and then uh, forward it out to your friends. Uh, offer to come with them. We're excited about this. Be praying about this. Join us on Wednesday nights or on Sunday mornings to pray about this. And so uh, really excited about that. Life with Jesus. It's a great adventure. Okay, we are going through the book of Hebrews. Why don't you rise for the reading of God's Word? If you need a Bible, please raise your hands. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're our advocate. You're our representative. You're our provider. You're our shield. You're our spokesperson. You're our righteousness. And how, Lord Jesus, just with the distraction of life, this week... Yesterday, even this morning, we, we need to hear from you. Please speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit of who you are. Make us men and women who seek after your heart and long to know what your heart is for us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So when a person comes to our church here at Calvary Chapel in the city and they become a Christian, that is, they believe what Jesus did for them on the cross, they, uh, that he died for their sins, that he rose from the dead, and now offers to come into the life of any man or woman willing to uh, invite him in their hearts to be master and savior of their lives. When a person becomes a Christian, we talk to them about the importance of developing a relationship with God and developing a relationship with God through prayer and reading the Bible. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, the apostle Peter says this, As newborn babes desire pure milk, the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. The Bible says that we are babies or babes at two points uh, in our lives. First, when we come out of our mother's womb, 
And then when we are born again by the Spirit of God, when we trust in Jesus for salvation and enter into a personal relationship with Him. Many of us grow up knowing religion very well. But we don't know relationship. The Bible says we weren't called into religion. We were called into relationship. And when I talk to a new believer here about reading the Bible, I recommend, as many do, starting in the book of John in the New Testament. And I emphasize the importance of reading slowly and changing our reading habits. Not reading the Bible like a novel, but reading slowly, like 12 to 15 verses at a time are fine. Not trying to run through the Bible, but reading slowly in an unhurried way. And many times I recommend that once they finish reading the book of John, that they start right back over and start again. Read through it, finish, start right back over again. And, and I do this thing to this uh, very day. Actually, I'm usually in one book, just maybe 10 or 12 verses, and then another book I may read uh, at a faster pace. Try to do both at the same time. Try to be in the New Testament, and then as new believers grow, I get them a diet of the Old Testament. Always tell them, whatever you do, don't run home and start on page one and start reading forward. No, start uh, in the New Testament, start reading about Jesus. That's where you start, as a newborn babe. And I still do this from time to time, though I, I, I did it with a book of Hebrews a couple uh, of years ago. I went through it th- four or five times before I went on to anything else. One of the wonderful things that happens when we do that, read a book of the Bible over and over again, is that you start noticing things that the Holy Spirit, who, remember, is the author of the Bible. The Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. He uses um, human writers as his instruments. But you notice that the Holy Spirit has certain things in each book that he really, really wants you to know. You. wants you in a personal relationship. wants you knowing these things. And one of the things that the writer of the Hebrews writes about many times, the Holy Spirit speaking through uh, him, is that Jesus is in the presence of God now for us. Again, we read this morning, verse 24, for Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true. The the temple in the Old Testament was made with hands, and there was a holy place in it. But that's not what Christ has entered into. That was just a copy of the altar, the tabernacle of God itself. Verse 24 says, but he's entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Eleven times in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called our high priest who is in the presence of God for us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Because all this begs the question, what exactly is Jesus doing for us? What's he doing for us? You know, we read the Bible, the Gospels, we can see what he did for the people who lived then. He healed 
multitudes of people. He taught them, he, he touched them, he encouraged them. Many times he rebuked people. What, but, uh, it says he's in, the, in, in heaven now, verse uh, 24 says, for us. What does that mean? Well, Hebrews 7, 25 uh, says this. It says, therefore, he, meaning Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost, speaking of us, he's able to save us to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans chapter 8 has a similar verse. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says this. You don't have to turn there. It says this. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. There's that little two words again, for us. So what's he doing for us? He's making intercession for us. But what does that mean? Intercession. What does it mean? That word intercession. Well, that word intercession, it's a stronger, more forceful version of the word prayer. It's the Greek word, the New Testament originally written in Greek, entunkano, entunkano. The word is, is, that, is actually in other places, if you do a word study in the book of Acts 25, it's described as crying out. In Romans chapter 11, verse 2, it's translated to plead. Elijah pleaded with God, it says in Romans 11, verse 2. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems kind of odd to me. Jesus pleading, Jesus crying out in the presence of God. I mean, I sort of understand that when he was here on the earth in the Garden of the Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, he knew that the wrath of God was going to be coming upon him. He knew he was going to the cross. The Bible says he was crying out, pleading to God, agonizing before the Lord. But now it says in, in our verse for this morning, it says in verse 24, he's in the presence of God for us. And as we've read, he's interceding, he's pleading He's crying out for us. Just why? Why is Jesus in the presence of the Father crying out to him for us? What does that mean? Hard questions. Remember what it said at the end of Hebrews 5. We were in it a few weeks back. What did the writer say there? He said to the people, you've become dull of hearing. Remember that? He said in chapter 5, uh, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the teaching of God. And then he goes on to tell, the, tell them, you guys are, are feeding off baby's milk, which is fine for babies. We read about that in First Peter chapter 2. But he went on to say, I want to give you solid food. In other words, you guys, you need to move off your Christian ABCs and you need to get on solid food and become the men and women of God that God has meant you to be. And, and, and what does he do then? He starts getting into the solid food. And, and by chapter 9, man, we're deep into this solid food. We're really deep in it. We've been struggling through together. Hebrews isn't an in, easy book, particularly the middle chapters. And by chapter 9, we're in this solid food. It says, Jesus praying for us at the throne of God in heaven. What's he praying about? 
why would Jesus have to pray for me when he's before the Father in heaven? Uh, and actually the word again, it's not pray, it's cry out, it's plead. Why is he doing that? I thought he said, it is finished. The last words he said before he died. All the work that was necessary to bring me into an eternal relationship with God, finished. What's the pleading about? What's the crying? What's the praying about? Well, let's talk about that. It, it re really is uh, quite simple. Uh, and, and here is uh, the answer to this question. Jesus referred to continually as the high priest, our great high priest in the book of Hebrews. Remember, just as in the Old Testament, we've read, the high priest would go into the holy of holies in the temple with the blood of the lamb, which had been sacrificed for the sin of Israel. So Jesus, who the Bible says is the lamb, the lamb of God, who the Bible says is our great high priest, he goes into the holy of holies, the tabernacle of God in heaven, and offers his own blood, which had been, has been poured out on the cross for your sins and mine. We talked about that uh, last week. Now, okay, listen. And here's the solid food. It's the act of offering that blood. The act of offering that blood. Of going into the presence of God. That's the prayer. The blood cries out. What does it cry out? Forgiven. It cries out, forgiven, forgiven. Who's forgiven? You. Because of the blood. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses all our sins. And our great high priest goes into the altar in heaven and presents the blood. And what we saw in the Old Testament was just a type of foreshadowing, a forerunner of what was to come. There's a wonderful hymn that I love. Old hymn, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. It reads like this. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. For me, his wounds do plead. Jesus pleading at the throne of God. Jesus crying out before the Father. Actually, it's the blood that's pleading for us. It's the wounds that are crying out. Forgiven. Forgiven. Not with audible words, of course. The blood speaks louder than words. It cries out to the heart of God, this is the blood of your Son that was poured out for the sins of many. Okay. Solid food. Now you may be saying, okay, Steve, I get it. But what does Hebrews 7.25, which you just read to us, mean when it says Jesus is always interceding for me? He's always crying out. He's always praying. Let's turn there again, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he, Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives. 
in the presence of God to make intercession for them or for us. So good question. Now, why would Jesus have to keep on interceding for me over and over again? This, is, this too confused me for years. Why is this confusing verse? Why is this? Romans 7 says the same thing. So once Jesus went in to the holy of holies, the real one, the presence of God, and has offered his blood, which cries out, which pleads, forgiven. Why would there be a need to cry out, to plead, to intercede again and again and again? Well, some of you who Our students of the book of Revelation know the answer to that, right? Revelation chapter 12, it says, Satan stands before God and accuses the brethren night and day. What's he accusing of, of them of? What's he doing there? He's standing before God accusing you and me. Look at what she did. Did you see how ashamed she was in front of her friends? Look at what he did. Did you see how drunk he got last night? Those drugs that he used, those things that he said, the porn he was in, the gossip she repeated, the money she ripped off. Look at her. Look at how little time she spends in the Bible Look at how little time she spends praying. Look at how he's been blowing church off. And what happens? The blood of Christ cries out, forgiven. The wounds plead, forgiven, covered. And that's what grace is all about. Again, our verse, verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, this is so important. Jesus' intercession, his praying, his pleading, his crying out, doesn't stop there. Why? Because it was never Jesus' intention, though we may be a drunkard, a liar, a thief, a sexual immoral person, for us to remain as those people. The Bible says that Jesus' death and resurrection not only saves you from the judgment of sin, the penalty of sin, but he sa it saves you from the power of sin. Romans 6, verses 6 and uh, 7, two verses I've held so close to my heart ever since I was a babe in Christ, says this, we know this, Romans 6, verse and, uh, 6 and 7 says, that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Jesus didn't die only to pay for your sin. 
but he rose from the dead for you to have victory over it. Jesus accepts you just the way you are this morning. The blood, the wounds cry out, forgiven. But he loves you too much for you to stay where you are. Do you see the distinction? He loves you too much for that. I have five children, ages 7 to 16. And, you know, some of them, each of them from time to time will really mess up really bad. They're forgiven. But do I want them to stay in that place? That's not what grace is about. That's not why Jesus died. That's not why, why he rose again from the dead. So when our sin is presented to God, our shame, our pride, our feeble prayer life, our time in, uh, our feeble, scant, spotty time in the Word, our spotty church attendance, the sexual immorality, the drunkenness, the drug use, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the compromised, lukewarm Christian life, the blood cries out forgiven, but brothers and Jesus Brothers and sisters, rather, Jesus doesn't want you to stay that's way, that way. That's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform yourselves to the, uh, to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, as it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Verse 11, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things, have fervent love. That word fervent in the Greek means hot. Have hot love, a a burning love, a, a heavy love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And you read that and you go, how on earth do I live that life? Me, a drunkard. Me, a compromised person. Me, a sexual immoral person. Me, uh, a a person with a lukewarm uh, prayer life. Time in the word life. Church life. How on earth do I do that? Well, for one, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when you gave your life to Christ, God gave you His Holy Spirit as a deposit. Holy Spirit empowers you. But, also, As we see here in Hebrews, throughout Hebrews, Jesus, mentioned as our high priest 11 times, is right now praying for you, for strength, for power, for grace in the presence of God. Turn with me to Luke 22. Luke 22.
Luke 22 is to your left about six or, no, more than that, <laughs> about eight or nine books, more than that. Um, it's uh, the third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 22. This is right before Jesus being arrested. His disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. The apostle Peter, remember Peter was born with the name Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means Petra, rock. Peter had insisted that he was the greatest, that he'd never let Jesus down. So Jesus says to him in verse 31 of Luke 22, and the Lord Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus prayed for Peter. He prayed for him. That when he returned, meaning when Peter returned, because he was about to fail Jesus in the most profound, terrible way, forsaking Jesus, running from him in the greatest hour of his need, denying him three times. When Peter returned from that terribly low place that he was going to sink to, back to the Lord, when he had turned to Jesus, we later saw him empowered in the mightiest way, boldly declaring the word of God, arrested, imprisoned, beaten, let go, boldly declaring the word of God again, arrested, imprisoned, beaten, let go, boldly declaring the word of God. At one point, 3,000 people in one day coming to the Lord because of him. Why did that happen? Why? Because Jesus prayed for him. And listen, after Jesus died and rose again and returned to the presence of his Father, he didn't stop praying. Jesus knows your place of need. He is right now praying for you living in that need, praying to the Father for you, for grace, for strength, for wisdom. Hebrews 11.24, verse for this morning, says, says that he's in the presence of, of, of God for you. Eleven times in the book of Hebrews, called your high priest. What does a high priest do? They, he intercedes, he prays, he represents you before God. Now, now remember, we don't have any ordinary high priests. We have a high priest, Hebrews 4.13. It says that, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tried, tempted, afflicted, as you have been. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize when he's praying for us. Now, there are certain things or subjects that I really feel like I can pray with people about and really sympathize with them. When I, in my 20s, my parents were divorced and it just ripped my heart out. So I was just devastated. I didn't know pain like that existed. I did not. I didn't know life got that painful. And man, when someone comes up to me and is the victim of a divorce or is in the process of a divorce or is 20 miles from a divorce, I know how to pray for them. When people come in here with a small child that is in one of the hospitals close to death, I'm able to get alongside of them and plead to God because I was in the very same place with my daughter Faith who was in, within 48 hours of death with a, a massive brain tumor. When I get a call from a pastor who is starting a church and they're overwhelmed with discouragement, I can pray for that dude. <laughs> I really can. There's a guy I can pray for. But I got to tell you, there are many times when I'm in counseling and, and I'm counseling someone and they're describing a situation and I, I'm thinking to myself, I don't have the slightest idea of what it's like to be this person. And sometimes I tell them, you know, I, I can't say that I understand what you're going through. But this I can tell them with all the authority of the Word of God. Jesus does. He does. Hebrews 5, 7 says, and we studied this, in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to God. The word vehement also translated mighty and powerful. Jesus in such agony that he cried out with a vehement, powerful cry to the Lord. You don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with what you're going through. He was in all points tempted, tried, afflicted as you are. Or have been. And now he is in the presence of God, verse 24, chapter 9, for you. Do you believe that? what the word of God says let's continue let's wrap up actually Hebrews 9 again such a wonderful verse verse 24 for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us verse 25 not that he should offer himself often 
as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood with the blood of another this was written before the temple was destroyed high priests were still going in uh, every day going into the temple and in uh, 70 AD that all stopped when Roman, the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple Verse 26, he then would have had to suffer often, speaking of Jesus, since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how long you've done it, the Bible says that your sin has been put away, verse 26 says, taken care of, dealt with on the cross. That's why in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, it says that God remembers your sin no more. Why? It's been put away. Corey Tinboon says it like this. When God forgives you, uh, he casts all your sins in the ocean, and then he puts up a sign in front of the o- ocean that says, no fishing. I like that because he remembers your sins no more. He doesn't go fishing into your past for skeletons. No, the word of God says he sees you as pure and blameless as his son in whose righteousness you are now clothed. If you have put your trust in him, you're pure and blameless. Verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 9. As it is appointed for men to die once, no such thing as reincarnation, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so after death, there is judgment. The Bible couldn't be clearer about this. The good news for Christians, however, is in verse 28, which is really just a continuation of verse 27. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. So really, verse 27 should have been, should have ended after the word many. So let's read uh, verse 27, Steve's version of it again. And as it, appo- as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. So men and women, listen very carefully, who have been born again by giving their life to Christ, do not take part in the judgment. That's the whole point of this verse. Christ took the judgment for you on the cross. That's why it says, for Christ was, a, for, uh, rather it says it was appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered, he, in other words, he was judged to bear the sins of many. So, you have, and I have a choice. Do you want to be judged upon the work of Christ? Or do you want to be judged based upon your works? At the great white throne judgment, spoken of in Revelation 20, men and women who have rejected Christ will be judged based upon their works. The direct quote from Revelation 20. They ha- men and women who have rejected Christ will be judged based upon their own works rather than the work of Christ. That is not a judgment you want to be in. Uh-uh. You want to be a Hebrews chapter 9 verses 27 and 28 person. 
that Jesus took the judgment for you. It was appointed to men to die once, then comes the judgment. So Christ was judged to bear the sins of many. So it's either Christ's judgment or it's a judgment of you based upon your works. And the Bible gives us a choice in that. And then verse 28 continues. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin. In other words, sin was already dealt with on the cross for salvation. Let me repeat that. To those who eagerly wait for him. In other words, those who believe in Jesus, who have trusted for him and are awaiting for him, he will appear a second time apart for sin for salvation. Now, re real uh, interesting thing about verses 24 through 28, it mentions three appearings, right? In verse 26, it says, Jesus has appeared to put away sin. Uh, speaking of the cross, in verse 24, at the end of the verse, it says, he has appeared in the presence of God for us. In verse 28, uh, it says he will appear a second time uh, for salvation. Now, here is a golden nugget for you, but you're going to have to, uh, I don't have enough time to get uh, into it too deep, but for those of you who love this kind of stuff, man, here's a golden nugget to, to dig around. The Greek word uh, in the original text for appearing, uh, those three words appearing, verse 24, 26, and 28, they're three different words. We see appearing three times. The Greek words are all different. In verse 24, the Greek word is emphanizo. In verse 26, it's the word phanero. Uh, in verse 28, however, where it talks about Jesus appearing a second time, it uses a third word, optonomai, from which we get the word ophthalmologist, eye doctor, or eyes. In other words, those who eagerly await for him will see him with their eyes. It isn't some metaphorical thing. We will see Jesus with our eyes when he returns for us. Never forget, in the book of Acts, where the disciples, it says in Acts verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, they, it says they're looking steadfastly towards heaven as he went up. And then, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He will come again. And in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ who will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, comfort one another with these words. 
to those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time apart for sin for salvation. Jesus right now in the presence of God has appeared, is there for you, interceding for you, his blood crying out for you, praying for grace for you, strength for you. But there will be a time where the Bible says where the Father says to the Son, the time has come, go, get your bride, go and get your bride. And Jesus will come again for us. And it says those who eagerly await will see him a second time. Oh, that God would stir up in our hearts and yours and mine. That eagerness. The Bible says fix your eyes on heaven where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And Christ, who is our life, when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, we'll get into chapter 10 next week. When the worship team come up, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this hope that you have placed in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, for any man or woman here who doesn't have that hope, who doesn't feel that hope, Lord, that you would place it in their hearts this morning, draw them to you, Lord, make it clear to them. that you sent your son to die for them. And you raised him from the dead to ever live for them, to have a relationship with them through him. Father, do make that clear. And Lord, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for the Holy Spirit given to us. We thank you that you are now interceding for us. We need that, Lord. We need your grace. We're weak. You are strong. We need your power. We need your love that we may love you. That we may live lives of worship following you, blessing you, living according to your purpose and will. Lord, we can't do it ourselves. We ask for that grace. We love you, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Please rise. We're going to close with a worship song. In the glory of your presence I find rest for my soul sing in the depths in the depths of 
God bless you as you're dismissed. And uh, if anyone would need prayer, there'll be a couple of pe people up front to pray with you.